0: The problem with SIBO is that it, it can be a catch-all for everything because SIBO symptoms can be in the gut, beyond the gut, can be manifested skin things. But because of that, doctors are maybe overusing the term.
1: Today on the SIBO SOS podcast, we have the one and only Dr. Mark Pimentel, a true hero to all of us in the SIBO community and around the world for anyone with post-infectious IBS, or whoever has had food poisoning. I'll explain. He's a gastroenterologist and researcher at Cedars-Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles, the executive director of MAST, a research program created exclusively to study the causes and treatments for SIBO, IBS, and the microbiome-linked diseases that are out there. Dr. Pimentel also is one of the researchers responsible for the new IBS SMART test. If you haven't heard of it, IBS Smart is a blood test that can tell you if you do or don't have post-infectious IBS. This is important because that will impact the migrating motor complex, which if defective will lead to SIBO. Trust me, you'll want to figure all of this out. We're going to explain exactly what post-infectious IBS is and why it matters if you have it, but let me give you this hint. Finding your underlying cause is critical to healing from SIBO. 80% of the people with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, have SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And a major cause of IBS is past food poisoning. Oh, wait, I've never had food poisoning, Siobhan. Well, have you ever had stomach flu? Have you ever had diarrhea and you weren't sure where it came from out of the blue, but you got better, no biggie? Have you ever been on vacation and had Montezuma's revenge? Guess what? that could all be considered food poisoning. Don't care what you call it, it needs to be investigated if you have unrelenting SIBO or IBS. If you don't connect the dots, you might be holding yourself back from healing, I think is a shame and a waste, and I don't want that for you, I want the best for you. So let's dig in. If anyone's close to finding a true cure for SIBO from post-infectious IBS, it is Dr. Pimentel. What an honor and privilege to have you here and to have him on this podcast and in the master classes that he has blessed us with at SABO SOS and the summits and Digestion SOS, the docuseries. What a great partner. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode as much as I did, and I hope you take action to get better faster. I wanted to go back in time and share with you some of the highlights of conversations I've had with Dr. Pimentel over the last year. So enjoy. I hope this helps you. I hope you take action, and I hope you'll come find us at SIBOSOS.com so you can get on our mailing list and find out about the specialty classes that we have and the um, Q&As and all of the events and join us in our Facebook group, which is the SIBO SOS community. Fantastic group and lots of fun stuff going on there. All right, here we go. Thanks for being here and let's listen in to some highlights and high-level learnings with Dr. Mark Pimentel.
0: The problem with SIBO is that it it can be a catch-all for everything because SIBO symptoms can be a in the gut, beyond the gut, and, and you know, these, the, the symptoms can be manifest as skin things, but mostly the, the gut is the primary issue for which I see the patients. But because of that, doctors are maybe overusing the term SIBO, and that causes some trouble for that term, and patients will encounter trouble because the doctor will say, well, everything's SIBO. And, well, it's not everything is SIBO. And one of the things that we do at our center is that when people come with a SIBO diagnosis or seeking that, I tell them my job is to prove that you don't have SIBO first. But if you do, then we need to prove why you have SIBO because I don't leave it, let it rest. I wanna know and I wanna make sure that I know why. Because if I know why, number one, I know how to treat. And number two, I know you have SIBO because the why also implicates SIBO. But in the community, I think it's becoming very cliche, the term SIBO. The second part of that question is that SIBO can be caused by a lot of things. If you have a bowel obstruction from a tumor, you can have bacterial overgrowth. And you don't ever want to rest on SIBO being a diagnosis. SIBO is caused by something. Figure that out because if you're missing a critical issue like cancer or something like that, you're not really treating SIBO and that is not the answer. Treating the cause of the SIBO is the answer. So as you've said, Allison, one of the most common causes of SIBO is that the cleaning wave of the gut or otherwise known as the migrating motor complex, another term is housekeeper wave, all the same thing. But every 90 minutes when you're not eating, there's a gurgling sound that you hear and somebody says, oh, you sound hungry or you're embarrassed because you have that sound. First of all, don't be embarrassed. No,
1: so it's like, yeah. It's,
0: yes. It's like the greatest thing to have. because By My
1: migrating motor complex is happening.
0: It's the dishwasher. It's cleaning up your small bowels. So you need that so that the bacteria don't build up on the debris and slime from the last meal. And so... Not having that wave has been known for decades that it can cause bacterial overgrowth because you're not cleaning. And so all that stuff is left there and the bacteria start fermenting and growing, and they're very happy about that. But the migrating motor complex can be measured. And one of the ways we measured it is with an antrodutinal manometry, which is a tube through the nose all the way down into the small intestine under x ray guidance. And then you leave it there for six hours and we measure it on a Computer system. That does
1: not sound like a fun
0: test. It is not a fun test, which is why we reserve it for special patients who really need it. Because 80% of the time, that's the cause of SIBO. So we don't need to do it all the time because more than likely that's the reason for most patients. Well, the association between IBS and SIBO is very clear. I would say probably 70% of IBS is SIBO. That we've established, a lot of papers, I think that's very clear now. And that is from the migrating motor complex. So To go back a little bit, food poisoning, we think, is the one thing that damages the migrating motor complex. So if you've got gastroenteritis on a trip somewhere, and that's when your IBS or SIBO started or your symptoms started, we see that association very clearly. The problem with that association is that patients come to me and they've had 20 years of symptoms. They don't remember the first few days. They've had diarrhea all along, on and off, but the first two days of diarrhea could have been the food poisoning. They don't remember. They don't remember what happened. But... For some patients, it was like apocalyptic. They went on a trip. The whole trip was ruined. They had blood in their stool. They were admitted to hospital, needed IV. You'll remember that. But some of the more milder cases, which still triggered this event, uh, they they may not remember. But in any case, food poisoning does this damage to the cleaning wave or the migrating motor complex, and then you get the SIBO. And that's the most common cause. But of course, if you've had surgery, let's say, for example, you've had tubal ligation or gallbladder taken out. And then they've created scar tissue. That scar tissue can kink the bowel. That would be probably the second most common cause of, of SIBO that isn't easy to treat, is that they have these scar tissues and some bends or elbows in the bowel. That, adhesions? Yeah. and these, When the adhesions pulling on the bowel, it creates like an elbow, like a bent hose, you know, your hose for hosing the lawn. Mm-hmm. And when it's bent, the water doesn't come through. Same thing. And you get this food kind of building up and then the bacteria grow there. And then it starts to get to more obscure things. ehlers Downlow syndrome is is now being recognized as a cause.
1: Yeah. My signature moved.
0: <laughs> See, so I mean, those are the kinds of things that the bowel just doesn't move correctly because the physical structure of the bowel is impaired by the genetics of Eller's Downlow Eller's Downlow syndrome. Um, and then tumors and narcotics is a big, of course. Right now, these days, narcotics is a big issue nationally. If you're on morphine, you'll have SIBO, guaranteed. Acid is hydrogen. Okay. Okay. Hydrogen gas is hydrogen. Right. Yeah. Acid is hydrogen because it has a hydrogen donor and hydrogen gas is hydrogen and methane can use either source to make methane. So the more acid you have, the more hydrogen donation you have, the more, you know, the more you're gonna produce methane. And we saw that in these studies.
1: So would you say that if someone has stomach acid issues to not take hydrochloric acid or because it could contribute to their SIBO?
0: I would say at this moment, if you have methane on your breath test, don't take those supplements because it will make it worse. And we do see that.
1: Okay. What about dairy? People are really struggling with the whole dairy issue. I know that you had said uh, that it's, it's not good for SIBO patients. Could you just elaborate on that for a sec?
0: Yeah, so dairy basically has lactose. Um, so there's people who are true lactose intolerant, meaning they drink milk or eat milk, uh, milk products, and they get bloating gas and distension. It means that they don't have enough enzymes in their gut to break lactose. Lactose is a two-sugar what we call a disaccharide, meaning two sugars stuck together. And humans have an enzyme that breaks them into two pieces, and you can absorb those two pieces very well. But if you're deficient in that enzyme, you're lactose intolerant. The problem is the word lactose intolerant. You drink milk, you get bloated. It doesn't mean you have an enzyme problem, because, because the reason you get bloated is because if you don't have the enzyme, it all goes to the colon, and the colon's fermenting the lactose, and you get all this bloating. But in overgrowth, the bacteria are coming up to the milk and no human on the planet can drink a gallon of milk without getting bloated because we only have so much enzyme. And so the the if you have bacterial overgrowth, you're going to get all this dairy exposed to, especially the lactose sugar exposed to bacteria. However, if you drink lactose-free milk, you shouldn't have symptoms. There should be no concern. It's not the milk, it's the lactose in the milk in general. Now that's different from allergies or milk allergies where you're allergic to the protein in the milk, but uh, that's not relevant to SIBO.
1: Okay, that's kind of, okay, good news, bad news. What about iron, people who have low ferritin levels and people who have um, anemia?
0: Yeah, so there's three sort of main things that we can sometimes see with bacterial overgrowth. And I'll sort of list them in commonness. The most common vitamin change that you see with bacterial overgrowth is elevated folate. So, bacteria produce folate. And so, we know that more bacteria means more folate in your bloodstream. And that's okay. Well, we need folate. We only need a lot of folate, but we need folate, and bacteria help us get that. That's one of the vitamins bacteria are needed but bacteria use vitamin B12 for their functions. And so sometimes you can get B12 deficiency. Bacteria can also use iron to do their process as well. The difference between the iron and the B12 is that the iron can sometimes be, you know, as the bacteria break down, you get the iron back. So you don't lose the iron as, as commonly. So it's one of the lower or less common sort of features of SIBO. Because you've got to be careful with, when it's iron deficiency, Often it means that you're losing blood somewhere, and you know we often think of the intestinal tract as a loss of blood. If you had a small colon cancer that was eking a drop of blood a day, your iron will continue to drop. So you gotta be careful with iron and not attribute it always to SIBO because that one can be something serious, a cancer or something bleeding in the gut.
1: What about low ferritin levels? Would that also be the same kind of concern?
0: So low ferritin. Ferritin, The problem with ferritin is it's a wacky protein. Um, So let's say you got the flu. You, You didn't take your flu shot. You got the flu. While you're having the flu, the ferritin just goes way up. It's what we call an acute reactive protein. So the body, for some reason, we don't know why it does this with ferritin particularly, but if you're stressed, ferritin goes up. Uh, if you're malnourished, ferritin goes down because it's a protein and if you're you're not making enough proteins, all the proteins go down and ferritin goes down. So it's a very sensitive protein to a lot of different factors and therefore it's hard to know what to make of a high or low ferritin unless it's extremely high or extremely low. And so I know I'm kind of dodging the question, but the reason we don't look at ferritin that often is because it's so quirky that way let's say you just had a UTI last week and you're all better now, but the ferritin can still be high. And so we, we look at ferritin, but it's, it's very difficult to know what's happening with it on a given moment unless you see it consistently well.
1: Thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Just Thrive Probiotics. I wasn't a believer. I have to admit, I thought all probiotics were the same because in the past I had taken them and didn't really notice a difference. Well, once I read the studies on Just Thrive which were recommended to me from several friends in this health space. It started with an old root canal that needed to be extracted. I took the Just Thrive with the massive dose of antibiotics and it helped me so much. I couldn't believe it. So I want you to know about it because if it made a difference for me and I'm a tough case, chances are it's gonna make an impact on you. Obviously you can tell I'm a fan. I hope you'll investigate it for yourself. That's Just Thrive Probiotics. And thank you so much to them for supporting this community. We love them for it. What about the MMC or migrating motor complex and blood sugar?
0: So that's a, that's a great question. So the migrating motor complex is the cleaning wave of the gut. So for those of you who don't know on, on Facebook, if you wake up in the morning and you go to school or to, or to work and you didn't eat breakfast and you hear this gurgling sound in your stomach and it lasts for 10 minutes and you're all embarrassed and you're just irritated by this thing making so much noise, please don't be irritated. Some people wish they had that. That's the cleaning wave of the gut. So at night, every 90 minutes, this gurgling is coming through and it's purposefully getting rid of all the debris. So think of it as the dishwasher. It's washing the dishes. Your small bowel is your plate. That's where all absorption and digestion occurs. You don't want a piece of lettuce sitting there blocking absorption, just kind of laying on the surface of the bowel. All that needs to be swept out. That's the purpose of the MMC or cleaning with Now, at the same time, if you get these MMCs and you have food in your stomach, you're going to dump food. And as you dump food, you could create fluctuations in blood sugar. But I think where the person is sort of getting to in the question is that we have published a paper that shows if you're hydrogen overgrowth, you tend to have hypoglycemia, and we don't know that it's related to the MMC, but the hydrogen overgrowth patients have low blood sugar. On the flip side, the methane patients tend to get tend to have more hyperglycemia and more uh, reactive glycemia, and so uh, we've actually shown that methane is associated with heavier body composition, more obesity, uh, and and that's very well. Um, published now, and it it causes weight gain, methane.
1: And there's really not much we can do about it other than resolve the SIBO, right?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, some people, when it comes to the weight gain part of methane, I'll just describe one study. We looked at people who are already obese, and this is a very impressive result. People who already had a BMI greater than 30, which is the definition of obesity. And we looked at those in that category that were methane and those that were not methane. If you were methane, you had almost 50 pounds more weight than the other obese patients, uh, which is amazing when you think about it. Now, if you have methane and you undergo bariatric surgery like a gastric bypass, you are less likely to lose weight as well. So the methane is kind of holding on to calories or helping you hold on to calories. And we think there's multiple mechanisms, one of which it slows the gut, The other is that it helps harvest nutrients from food you normally don't get calories from, et cetera. But but the biggest question I get, okay, I need to get rid of my methane, so I'll precipitously lose weight. Unfortunately, once you gain the weight, you all know it's hard to come off. Uh, And even if you get rid of the methane, it will make it easier to come off, but it's still work to get it back off.
1: Understood. Okay, well at least we know, at least we know. Have you ever seen a genetic tendency or any genes associated with like PEMT? That's just a very specific one, of course. Um, Any genetic tendencies with SIBO?
0: So most of the genetic work that's been done so far is to IBS. And of course, we know that 60, 70% of IBS is SIBO. So I'll use that as sort of a bridge, but but there's people who have looked at genetics of post-infectious IBS, which I think is the leading cause of SIBO here. Uh, and there are some genetic changes in the immune system in some patients. This is Mayo Clinic studies and studies from the outbreak in Canada. and. There's a couple of cytokines that don't respond as well, and they have genetic mutations. And so if you think about the blood test that I mentioned at the beginning, the autoimmunity, there's something with the immune system's response to food poisoning that makes you susceptible. And we do think there must be a genetic. For example, if you if you infected 100 people with Campylobacter, only 10 get IBS and SIBO. Why? Because they have something genetically that's predisposing them to that. And it's gonna take some time to figure out, but there are some studies suggesting it's an immune issue.
1: Okay, an immune versus genetic? Uh,
0: a genetic immune issue.
1: A genetic immune issue. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, people are still confused about this about this SIBO breath test, and the lactulose versus the glucose versus the, um, the blah, blah, blah. So what do you say when people say, no, the lactulose is, is the gold standard? No, no, it isn't. Can you just help us clarify this controversy? So um, it's going to be a little difficult to explain, so you have to follow me carefully because I want to make sure that it's very well understood. So we now have data that shows that if you're an IBS patient,
0: and your breath test is positive, meaning you have a positive for hydrogen because it's diarrhea IBS for rifaximin treatments. This was part of the rifaximin trials. If your breath test was positive for hydrogen, you had a much greater chance of responding to rifaximin. Now, the rate of response to rifaximin with a positive breath test is in the 50 to 60% range as opposed to 44% just with a, with no breath test at all, if your breath test becomes negative with rifaximin, your chance of having responded rises to between seventy and eighty percent. So it's the key is to get rid of the overgrowth, and that's data we presented at the big GI meeting just uh, in Washington DC in, in June, and more data coming out next week uh, by Dr. Rosai, who's going to expand on some of the details of that. But the reason I'm saying all of this is because Think about it this way. If you did a glucose breath test, only 30% are positive on glucose, and that's much lower than lactulose. So if you did a glucose breath test, only 30% are positive because glucose gets absorbed too fast. And then the bacteria in the last three quarters of the gut never see the glucose. So if you had overgrowth in the second half of the gut, forget about it, glucose is not gonna pick it up. So why did I bring up the refractometer? Because if you if you had done glucose breath testing in this study, think about it: fifty five percent benefited, but only thirty were positive on glucose. So you just missed twenty five people out of a hundred that could have benefited from lactulose and a drug because you did lactulose as opposed to glucose. So the point is, I would rather know more people who could truly benefit than no less people who could truly benefit now if the drugs were toxic then of course you want to limit it to the absolute population you can but lactulose picks up more people and more people that could benefit that's the punchline
1: okay there it is guys there it is Uh, talk to us about the hydrogen sulfide test of course that's another big question
0: so hydrogen sulfide is now a fully validated test. We've, we've, the, the entire study has been done and the test has been validated. Now, of course, it has to get out there for people. And that's happening. So uh, I will have a lot more to talk about later this year, but, but the path is coming. So we're hoping that in the probably second quarter of next year, maybe the middle of next year, you'll be able to do this test. But the real important thing is hydrogen never predicted a symptom. Hydrogen was positive. You responded better to the antibiotics. It was a marker. But think of hydrogen as food. Hydrogen is food, uh, and it's food for the methane bugs. So the more methane you produce, you get constipated, and if that's your profile, you're the constipation type. If you're hydrogen sulfide, you're using hydrogen food to make hydrogen sulfide, and we now know hydrogen sulfide is the key to diarrhea because the more you produce of that, the more diarrhea you have. Uh, and so for the first time, we now know the whole picture, and there are no other gases, that's it. It's those three, and they're fighting for hydrogen. So it's like uh, you have one source of food and you have two competing you know groups of individuals that are trying to eat that food and one always wins. Interestingly, methane always wins if both are there. So methane trumps hydrogen sulfide when they're all three, all three are there. But hydrogen sulfide by itself, bad diarrhea. So we can now figure out the whole story. And we're now doing the studies because I know what your next question is. We're now doing the studies to see what's the best treatment for hydrogen sulfide. And we're going to have some information on that for DDW, which is in May of uh, 2019. So stay tuned for more stuff.
1: Okay. Sounds good. And the probiotic question. So what is up with, should we take probiotics? with SIBO?
0: So the answer to that is there's too many probiotics to know the answer to that. Uh, So the the big question is, so we know bifidobacteria has a lot of good properties. It's anti-inflammatory and maybe prokinetic. So there's a lot of things that these bugs have been shown to do. The problem is if you go to your GNC or your, your, your nutrition store and you see 100 different probiotics, I can tell you they haven't been studied in SIBO in a systematic, double-blind way for all of them. So we don't have enough information to know which one is the best. Is it the one in the refrigerator which requires refrigeration or the lyophilized one or or which cocktail works the best? And that's the challenge. So I don't say that probiotics don't work because I haven't found the one that's been studied properly or that works the best. Can I say to you, uh, honestly, that I've never seen a probiotic help a patient with SIBO. No, because there are patients anecdotally who come in and swear that this was a miracle for them, and I can't, I, I can't deny a miracle and keep going. But I, every time I've used it, I've noticed either it doesn't work or the bloating can get worse because they produce gas too. So this this is the challenge with probiotics. But I'll say one more thing: the ultimate probiotic, fecal transplant. A lot of double-blind data here. Out of the trials that have been done, the general conclusion we can make is FMT did worse than placebo. So two ways to interpret that. Placebo is amazing or FMT is making patients worse. And I think, it's, of course, it's the latter because placebo doesn't do anything specifically. So the point is FMT probably is going to be bad for you if you have SIBO. Please don't do it. And I've always advised that. I suspected that was what was going to come of these studies. And that's exactly what came of these studies.
1: Okay. What about biofilms? That also is a really hot topic these days.
0: Yeah. So I always have a, a sort of a vague answer to this, not because it's the science is vague. So all humans have a biofilm because there's a, so there's a film of bacteria along the gut, film of, of chemicals and bacteria along the gut. And And so think about it this way. You have various layers of protection against the outside world. So your skin on outside of your body is very non-permeable or limited permeability to ward off things, infections and so forth. However, the gut is very special because you want things. You're absorbing. It's a very absorbing surface. So you don't want to absorb everything. You want to be able to not absorb certain toxins, certain things. And when we talk about patients with multiple chemical sensitivities and other factors, perhaps the barrier has broken down. So one of the barriers is a biofilm. So the biofilm is composed of sort of mucus and other things, plus also some bacteria. So the way I answer the biofilm question is that, I think biofilms can be good or biofilms can be bad. So some people say you want to reduce the biofilm, but maybe there are two types of biofilms, good bacteria and good biofilms, and not so good biofilms that are producing chemicals that are harmful to you. And so it isn't as simple as saying, you know, get rid of your biofilm or reduce your biofilm. It's, it's ultimately going to be more complicated than that. And So I'm going to sort of stop there because I don't know the answer except that I think there are two types.
1: Okay, we have one minute left. What else do you want everyone else to know about hope for SIBO?
0: So the hope is, I mean, if you think about what we talked about today, a lot of things are coming. The, the new IBS smart test, the hydrogen sulfide is coming, new treatments for those patients. So stay tuned. There's a, there's a lot coming in the next year.
1: Lots to look forward to, as always. And we really appreciate you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Pimentel. I know that you appreciate ending on time. And so that's what we're going to (laughs) do.
0: Sounds good. Good talking to you today, Siobhan.
1: Thank you so much. Take care. And we'll get the word out about all of this as much as possible. I'll reach out to the other SIBO and FODMAP groups and make sure that everyone has access to this.
0: Perfect. Thanks, everybody.
1: Thanks. Thank you, thank you, Dr. Pimentel, for being on the SIBO SOS podcast. And if you think post-infectious IBS could be a factor for you, please ask your doctor about the IBS Smart Test or go to IBSSmart.com. You can actually have them reach out to your doctor to get the script to get the test. And considering what you can find out from this test, it's actually not that expensive. They have amazing resources there that can help you get it and may even be covered by your insurance. Look, I did this test. I wish I had done it much sooner. Didn't exist for very long ago when I found out that I was positive for post-infectious IBS. It really changed my path of healing. That's why I'm so enthusiastic about this. And as always, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you learned something new, please subscribe and leave us a happy review. We'd love to hear from you. And every time you subscribe or review, it helps us go up in the rankings so our message and information can reach more people. SIBO SOS. Remember, SOS stands for Save Ourselves and we have to help each other do just that. Thanks for being here.